0: Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hi,
1: Kyla. How are you doing on this uh, coldest uh, May 12th in recorded history?
0: Oh, my God. You know, it's a couple weeks. It's Our next podcast will be released on my birthday, and it's going to be my coldest birthday ever. You I never think.
1: know. It might warm up, but boy, my goodness, it is cold right now. It's and so it's cold. Just, I guess people are probably... Uh, Uh, getting accustomed to the fact that it's like the spring that would never come.
0: Yeah. Everything's
1: green and everything bloomed, but it's
0: cold. But it's cold and it's wet. And there was a big windstorm earlier tonight at my place.
1: I I just don't expect the furnace to be coming on at this time of the year in Vancouver.
0: You know that I used to have a rule that I would turn off my furnace at the beginning of March.
1: Yes. And leave it off until sometime in October.
0: End of October.
1: There you go. I think but you've changed that rule, though.
0: I had to change that rule because we've had such crazy weather.
1: Yeah, well, maybe you're not as tough as you used to be. Maybe, That's you're, true. maybe you're tougher. I don't know.
0: Maybe I am tougher. You know what I did today? What? Well, you, you oh, know what I, what I, I know did what you today. did. Yeah. Yeah. Today I had seven different traffic court hearings.
1: You also conducted immediate roadside prohibition hearings.
0: Two of those.
1: And uh, you were on the radio.
0: I was on the radio? I yeah. was on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. And I did a pro bono clinic. So there you go. Busy day. So you're <laughs> busy day. St-
1: You're still pretty tough.
0: Seven <clears> roadside <throat> prohibition hearings. I can't believe I did that many in a day. I think that's my record so far.
1: Seven tickets.
0: Seven tickets one day. Yeah.
1: yeah. Could be. Could be a record. I don't know. You've done close to that before, I'm sure. Yeah. You've certainly done five in a day. And I've s- never done more than three.
0: Because I was doing seven tickets in a day, I did not get the opportunity rushing around as I was to do what I normally do when I have like five minutes of breathing time.
1: Let's go to the Court of Appeal on the BC Supreme Court website and read the decisions that were released.
0: Exactly. And so I did not get to arrange because I didn't know of it for a guest on the podcast that I would have had. Had you? Had I known. Mm, And that guest would have been our favorite guest, our listener's favorite guest, Eric McGracken.
1: Yeah, well, I saw that he tweeted it, and that's how I learned about it. (laughs)
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, so uh, this was the big decision from the B.C. Court of Appeal in the Trial Lawyers Association of British Columbia's constitutional challenge to the Civil Resolution Tribunal jurisdiction over motor vehicle accident claims. So...
1: Well, it went to BC Supreme Court.
0: Where they won. Yeah. Hooray. Well, they didn't win everything. There was also a cross appeal. So, what happened 2019, if you recall, a much better time, a simpler time.
1: <laughs> Pre pandemic, anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, Their no
1: hyperinflation.
0: There was legislation that came into force to decide liability and damages for what ICBC characterizes as minor injuries stemming from motor vehicle accidents. And the legislation essentially split two tracks. So in some circumstances, you may have a right to recourse for BC Supreme Court, but in most circumstances, you can only file your claim with the Civil Resolution Tribunal. And the Civil Resolution Tribunal had essentially exclusive jurisdiction to determine whether an injury was minor and thus whether the claim was to proceed in front of the tribunal. Um, And then there's the tribunal limit amount that was brought in for motor vehicle accidents, which was $50,000. So even if your injuries were characterized as minor, but your damages exceeded $50,000, too bad, so sad. You've got a cap. Yes. And... They can also... Uh,
1: Part of ICBC's dumpster fire, as they called it. Well, and the putting NDP, putting the NDP, out the dumpster fire. The NDP created the uh, ICBC, and then ICBC, of course, has to pay out. Yes. And then the government's looking at it and saying, our socialist insurance is
0: too not worth too
1: socialist. Well, not socialist <laughs> enough, maybe. I mean, you know, if you're in uh, the, uh, North uh, Korea... Your settlement claim is, you know, $12. If
0: you're in North Korea, you don't get a settlement claim. Yes. Um, So they could also decide liability and damages um, as long as the damages are going to be below the tribunal limit. And there was a burden on applicants if they wanted to get outside the tribunal to prove that the damages would be more than $50,000. Um, and there was also legislation that required the BC Supreme Court to dismiss matters that were properly within the jurisdiction of the CRT, unless it would be in the interests of justice and fairness, whatever the fuck that meant. And um, you could, the only remedy you had was judicial review. So, the Trial Lawyers Association of BC, and full disclosure, of course, as you know, I am on the board of governors. I know, yeah. Well, this has got to be, you know. I know, full disclosure, yeah. Here. (laughs) Um, They challenged the law, um, arguing that the the grant of jurisdiction, so giving the the tribunal authority over these claims, violated the Constitution because of the jurisdiction of the court,
1: the inherent jurisdiction of of a superior court in Canada.
0: Yes. And so they said that the scheme impermissibly granted the CRT jurisdiction that is dominated by superior courts, and they won. It was yeah. great. They found this this usurps the role of the court and takes it for the CRT. And so as the AGBC is wont to do is... You and I both know. In, in,
1: in, 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 <laughs> in this government and previous. you
0: know, It's garments. got nothing
1: to do with ideology, as best I can tell.
0: People think I'm litigious. They should talk to the AGBC. No. <laughs> um, they uh, appealed and uh, argued that the judge uh, erred in his approach uh, of the, like, Interpretation of the history of Confederation and the Constitution and creating a court or quasi tribunal and blah, 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 boring law history stuff. Yes. Don't worry, listeners, we're not going to make you listen to the boring law history stuff.
1: Well,
0: and they hey, argued. This is
1: big. I ain't reading it. Whatever that is from TikTok.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they also argued that the. Um, uh, the grant of jurisdiction. So, so the legislation giving jurisdiction to the civil resolution tribunal didn't offend against uh, what the Supreme Court of Canada recently articulated in a 2021 case of core jurisdiction. What is the core jurisdiction of the court?
1: Yeah. What is the core jurisdiction of the court? I guess you can just Ooh. keep coring it down till there's nothing left but the core. So, Eat the entire apple and just leave the core.
0: Fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating decision because you have um, reasons from the judge, uh, Chief Justice Bowman, dissenting reasons from Madam Justice Bennett and concurring reasons from Mr. Justice Butler. Yes. So I like that because that makes it, much more likely that the Supreme Court oh, of Canada. Oh, it will
1: it will be it will be given leave to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada. I'm sure because uh, it's also a national issue. We're seeing the tribunalization of our justice system, and this is the tribunalization, and they're going to tribunalize it to the core if the B.C. Uh, uh, Court of Appeal has its way
0: yeah. down
1: to the core.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, Bowman finds that uh, Chief Justice Higson used to be colleagues. Yes, I know. I know. That's two chief justices butting heads.
1: Well, he's the chief justice of BC Supreme Court.
0: Yeah, I know. Still. And the chief justice used of the to BC the... Court of Appeal butting yeah, heads.
1: But they used to be both on the Court of Appeal.
0: I know. So, uh, he found that now Canadian history blah 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 you could deal with personal injury claims in tort in either inferior or superior courts. And there was also no invasion on the core jurisdiction of the Supreme Court of British Columbia, because what is at issue there is the essential character of superior courts. Superior courts are primary guardians of the rule of law. They play a significant role in the development of the common law and maintain national unity. News?
1: Uh, come on. Maintain national unity. (laughs) (laughs) they decide things they They may be right they may be wrong
0: other they
1: they decide things
0: other superior courts may agree they may disagree uh yeah ridiculous and uh
1: they're deciders of disputes that is it (laughs) they they try and use some principles for it
0: but he went further and he said (laughs) even if You can say that like this is taking Motor Vehicle Act claims, some Motor Vehicle Act claims, away from the B.C. Supreme Court. It's not taking jurisdiction away from the B.C. Supreme Court because, and this is the part that's interesting that I think we should talk about, the B.C. Supreme Court retains significant involvement over personal injury claims generally and also over these specific Motor Vehicle Act claims. Do you want to know why he came to the conclusion?
1: Yes, tell me. Tell me.
0: The Supreme Court, according to the Court of Appeal, plays a robust role on judicial review. (laughs) Okay. It's great. I had a pause for laughter written into the notes for tonight's episode. Yeah, a robust role on judicial <laughs> review. Let's oh talk about judicial review. Generally speaking,
1: well, just an appeal, a judicial review or an appeal. They defer to the findings of fact made by the person below, even if they're bordering ridiculous. So long as they're not
0: ridiculous. So judicial review is like based on, um, it's based on a a a standard of deference, exactly. But it's not just. Deference to the findings of fact, the laws of judicial review also require deference to the statutory interpretation of a tribunal. So a court can say, I think that this is not a reasonable interpretation of this legislation, but it's not an unreasonable one. So it's fine for the court to just say, or for the tribunal to have just said what it did about the interpretation of the legislation. It's crazy. Robust, robust.
1: All right, that's let's, not a word I would use.
0: Let's talk about the robustness. But I guess he's
1: he's seeing it from above, <laughs> and we're seeing it from below. We're dealing with the real, regular people, and they're dealing with the people wherever they go. Those people. Now other, the other people,
0: but Paul, <laughs> it gets better. The robustness of judicial review of the tribunal's decisions is also constrained. by statute in the Civil Resolution Tribunal Act Part 5.1 deals entirely with the judicial review of tribunal decisions. First thing, you only got 60 days from the date the decision is given to file for judicial review. 60 days, two months, you have two years to commence an injury claim, but only sixty days to go. Oh shit, this is wrong.
1: So you're in the civil Re- resolution tribunal, and you're the little guy. I mean, you're, you're the little guy. You don't have a lawyer, for example. You're 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 just dealing with it, and you lose, and you don't know that you why you've lost. I mean, it's whole the whole thing is designed as a trick. Yep. And then you got sixty days to figure out where you went wrong and where the adjudicator went wrong. Yep. And it can't be a an issue of a finding of fact it's got to be a issue of law because the findings of fact are going to be deferred to yeah and you got to figure out what the legal problem is
0: yeah in a world
1: where there will be no developing case law
0: zero because there will
1: be no cases before bc supreme court binding on that only judicial review cases which i guess are all yours cases so all those people are going to have to start reading your decisions
0: in fact there will be no judicial review cases from me yeah. that would instruct any of this because not only is the robustness of the review constrained by the 60-day time limit, but under Section 56.7 of the Civil Resolution Tribunal Act, the there is a whole procedure set out for judicial review, literally the procedure that's followed in BC Supreme Court for interpreting these questions. First, the tribunal must be considered an expert tribunal relative to the courts in relation to the decision of the tribunal concerning a claim within the exclusive jurisdiction of the tribunal, the injury claims, or specifically concerning a claim in respect of which the tribunal is considered to have specialized expertise other than claims within the accident claims. But the accident claims that are being brought before the tribunal are exclusive jurisdiction of the, claims. Yeah. That's one. So they're presumed to know more than the court, the BC Supreme Court that has been adjudicating these fucking cases since Confederation.
1: Well, accident cases. Well, so there mean, was cars, yeah. but yes, as a injury claim. Car claims. was at
0: Confederation,
1: eighteen sixty-seven. No,
0: no, what? I don't know when the car was invented. Don't no. ask me. It's I'm like not a 1895 historian. Ninety-five or something. We skipped over the history part here. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, part two. On an application for review, uh, judicial review of a decision of the tribunal for which the tribunal must be considered to be an expert tribunal, the standard of review is as follows. One, a finding of fact or law or an exercise of discretion by the tribunal must not be interfered with unless it is patently unreasonable. Or
1: exercise of discretion?
0: Yes. Can I have an adjournment? I got COVID and I was in the hospital on a ventilator and I couldn't get any of my evidence together. No, I'm not going to exercise my discretion to grant an adjournment. You have to proceed without evidence. Okay. All right. Patent, Patently unreasonable. Now, patently unreasonable is the worst standard of review in my humble opinion. Um, It is uh, essentially the highest of the three. There's correctness, reasonableness, and patent reasonableness. Um, And it's somewhere above reasonableness, which itself is really fucking hard to prove, as I would know. And, like, the sort of most basic definition of it is that it's a decision that does not accord at all with the facts or the law or that completely misstates a legal test. But you know what? The law and, like, what actual patent unreasonableness is, is kind of, like, confusing and not well articulated. So, thankfully, the robust judicial review process that you get in B.C. Supreme Court includes the CRT defining patent unreasonableness for the purposes of interpreting its decisions. Oh, my gosh. So, pursuant to Section 56.9 of the Civil Resolution Tribunal, a patent... Uh, a decision is patently unreasonable if the discretion, finding a fact or, yep. um, or law, is exercised arbitrarily or in bad faith. There is literally no fucking way you can prove bad, bad faith fate. on the part of an adjudicator.
1: No, unless you determine that their last name is the same last name as the other party in the Smith. car accident, <laughs> and they happen to live in the same house.
0: And even then,
1: and they're married.
0: Yeah. Uh, B is exercised for an improper <laughs> is exercised for an improper purpose again, Impossible we're dealing with impartial or presumed to be impartial adjudicators. C is based entirely or predominantly on irrelevant factors. I don't believe you that you were injured in this accident because you drew a picture of a rainbow when you were six. I yeah, suppose. Yeah, well that there would you go. Be patently but, unreasonable. Well, uh,
1: that's look, our court is gonna give a robust
0: robust
1: a robust review of that Ro-bus. of the rainbow case. Or that's d- probably the only one that will succeed.
0: Or D fails to take statutory requirements into account. So basically, even the very, very high, almost impossible to prove patent unreasonable standard is made even more impossible to prove. By the legislation actually constraining what your judicial review can considerations are. Yeah. You could never, almost never, succeed in a judicial review on the basis of this. Well, the
1: government designed it that way, right? That's their whole idea, which you think people could look at the legislation and glean that. You you know you would think that the, would think. You would think that the court would look at it and say, "You know, I'm concerned about this. This is really setting it up to be a no-win scenario.
0: Yes. Now, there are two other standards of review that get applied. Yeah. So the other one is questions about the application of common law rules of natural justice never comes up and procedural fairness.
1: Also, it's bullshit. Natural justice is bullshit. There's no such thing. It's
0: a fucking nebulous nonsense concept.
1: Leftover Christian thing that doesn't exist where judges just say it's natural justice.
0: Ever watch like. Tried
1: to figure out what natural justice was when I was in the
0: wild. There's no such thing as natural justice.
1: Exactly. There is no fucking such thing as natural justice. That is, that is a leftover Christian, you know, it's leftover from a non-secular court.
0: Yes. And uh, these these questions are decided on whether the tribunal was fair. Ah. Uh, uh-huh. There is, like, th- that <laughs> fairness standard of review <laughs> oh. is, again, the most confusing standard of review that basically means nothing. Unless they, like, supply evidence that they can't supply.
1: Just pains me that over the course of my career, we've watched the justice system so (laughs) degraded by court decisions and governments. Governments, well, governments, but the court, you know, but the courts
0: constrained.
1: Yeah, but the courts, the courts, still just you know willing to uphold it all the time. If it's Kyla leads for AG, I'll repeal all that shit. It doesn't matter what the legislation is, if the government passes it, the BC Court of Appeal will find that it's constitutionally valid. It it doesn't matter what they might strike down. They they won't strike down anything. They might find a uh, charter violation or something like that. They struck
0: down some stuff. Yeah. Okay. C.
1: (laughs) Nothing memorable.
0: For all other matters other than those identified in paragraphs A and B as in anything other than a finding of fact or law or an exercise of discretion or the application of common law rules, natural justice, and procedural fairness. If there's anything else, which there isn't, then it's correctness, which is the most permissive standard of review.
1: To review. I mean.
0: Well, I was waiting for you to jump in to say, but actually it's not.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's
0: the point. Because the BC Court of Appeal actually interpreted the correctness standard of review, or not sorry, not the BC Court of Appeal. The BC Supreme Court interpreted the correctness standard of review in a case that we did on the question of whether or not a driving prohibition should be revoked for a statutory appeal. And this was right after the decision in, um, the decision in um, Vavilov and Brandon went and argued, well, this is a correctness standard of review. And this was the mayor case. And the court basically said, yeah, but you know, it's a correctness standard of review, but really you just kind of treat it like reasonableness. Yes. So correctness means reasonableness. Yes.
1: Doesn't have to be correct. Just has to be reasonable. There's gotta be just based on a reason. Doesn't have to be a reason that would make sense to most of us.
0: Yeah. And in any but event. If it
1: made sense to them, that's gotta be good enough for us. It made well, <laughs> made sense to the adjudicator.
0: In in any event, the question of correctness is like palpable and overriding error if it's on the facts uh, or mixed fact and law and questions of of law um reviewable on a correctness standard um and questions of facts reviewable on a correctness standard would never apply in the context of the civil resolution tribunal because those ones are exclusively already decided to be patent unreasonableness robust so so
1: robust (laughs) Um, So this will go to the Supreme Court of Canada, and there's a fascinating thing because, of course, you know all sorts of cases are decided by our Court of Appeal, but only cases that have a national interest component are permitted further appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada. So our Court of Appeal could be wrong, but you will not get an appeal beyond our Court of Appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada unless there is a national interest to it. So I suspect there's a national interest to it. The interesting thing is many people have noted, and I'm not the first one, two-thirds of the cases that get to the Supreme Court of Canada from the British Columbia Court of Appeal are overturned at the Supreme Court of Canada, which really causes you to wonder about those ones that wouldn't have got leave because they're not national interest cases. If two-thirds are wrong and they just can't get leave because they're barred because they're not uh, a national interest, that means, you know, that's just extrapolating. Anyway, it's fascinating to me that this is where we are um, Mm -hmm. in the law, and uh, I'm looking forward to when I check out because I cannot say that I've left the law in the condition that I got it when I became a lawyer, and I'm sad about that.
0: But did you leave it better, Paul?
1: No. No, I didn't. I tried. Um, You know, I I borrow somebody's car. I try and return it in better condition than I borrowed it. I've been using the law for twenty on the 19th. Um, this a week from today, it will be uh, 22 years for me.
0: Monday's and, my ten years. Yeah.
1: And did I leave the law in, uh, in the as good or better condition as when I started? I can't say that. But it's not my fault. I have done my best. I've fought. Uh, there's times I didn't do my best and I regret that I could have done better. There's times uh, you know I, I thought I was uh, beating the dead horse and then the judge would indicate to me, that you don't have to ask any more questions or, you know, that's fine. No, I got it. And then use the fact that I didn't ask the next question <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, not let me, uh, uh, succeed on whatever I was doing. Yep. Um, it's a frustrating thing being a lawyer because, uh, they refer to it as an art and a science. And, uh, for me, it feels more often like a, uh, uh, uh roll of the dice and, uh, um, press the button to start the, uh, the wheel spinning to see where they stop.
0: Well, on that dark note, let's talk about Alberta.
1: Let's talk about Alberta. So Alberta is in a strange position that BC's been in, and we will see how they respond. So going back to photo radar... Alberta had photo radar, B.C. had photo radar, Alberta never got rid of their photo radar, B.C. did get rid of their photo radar, and everybody said, wow, the people in B.C. will not put up with garbage like that. Then they introduced the immediate roadside prohibition scheme in B.C., and we've seen all sorts of innocent people get immediate roadside prohibitions, lots and lots with medical, legitimate medical... Uh, problems where they can't provide a sample, people who have had COVID, they've got COVID at the time they're trying to blow, they can't provide a sample. And the approved screening device, the AlcoSensor FST, has no capacity to say, oh, the person's got a medical issue. And in the training manual, it does not anticipate at all that people are not physically capable of
0: blowing. Well, that's because even my three-year-old niece can provide yeah. a sample. My 92-year-old grandmother with one lung who yeah. who had yeah. TB can provide a sample.
1: So that's what they tell police officers um, at their training. Their I think 92-year-old I've, grandma with one lung and TB. I,
0: I think I've said um, this before on the podcast, but I once had an officer in a trial testify that the the ability of the device to capture a sample was so sensitive that if you tied a rope around it and swung it in a circle, a sample would be obtained.
1: Yeah, you should have demanded that he bring one in with a rope. And I brought one
0: with a rope and the judge yelled at me.
1: Yeah, he should have brought one with a rope. That is the stupidest statement, and the judge shouldn't have yelled at you because if a police officer makes a stupid statement like that, you have to have some way to challenge them, and it pisses me off. But in any event... Um, we've seen lots of people with them, and the government has been concerned about it because it gets on the news and embarrasses the government. Uh, but nothing happens now. A couple things happened in Alberta. They also introduced the Alco Sensor FST. They had a different device before that, and lawyers started phoning me saying, "Man, we're getting all these refusals now." And it's not like suddenly people decided to start, you know, jerking them around. Uh, it's just a different device with different parameters, and then they introduced their version of the immediate roadside prohibition scheme. And, Kyla, you wrote a book about
0: it. Well, I wrote a book about IRPs.
1: Well, yes, but you included a discussion about theirs.
0: Yeah, and I wish that there'd been a chapter in my book for Alberta that was what to fucking expect, because this type of case that we're about to talk about is going to be the number one thing that Albertans should have expected. A poor, sober woman... Maybe she's not poor. Not in that way. She's got a nice car there. Um, (laughs) But a sober woman pulled over by police, has asthma. She lives on an acreage. She drove by a roadblock. She tried and tried and tried more than 12 times to provide a sample, but she couldn't do it. She says she tried sitting down, standing up, doing everything, but there was just, like, no way that she could make it work. So she lost her license and lost her car. Three-month driving prohibition. And she provided evidence in her review hearing. This is like the So many people
1: tail. think they can just provide for, a little bit. Just the evidence that's needed. You have to for beat you, the dead horse. and
0: For you and me, this is like tail as old as time. Yeah, exactly. She provided medical documents, affidavits confirming that she had asthma. But they did not show, Paul, that her symptoms were so severe that she was prevented from completing the test.
1: Of course, they're not offering her an ASD to practice on or provide a sample. And of course, there's, you know, no, there isn't a machine around that tests you to see whether or not you're capable of providing a test.
0: Alberta's rules also require you at the end of the 90 days, unless you want your license to be suspended for a full year, to put an interlock in your car. Yeah. And she had to have the interlock modified because she wasn't able to produce enough air to blow into the interlock. How is that not fucking proof positive that she's telling the truth?
1: Well, there are, uh, as you know, I do a look every month or so of every impaired driving case that's reported that I can find in the previous three months on, uh, Canley, just to look at them and to see the direction of things and to see how, um, Impaired driving is dealt with differently. We have a beyond the reasonable doubt standard for criminal cases, but when it comes to impaired driving, we've got, he was probably drunk um, <laughs> standard. Um, the, um, the, but in any event, I'm now struggling because there are so many cases from the Alberta Transportation Safety Board upholding 90-day immediate roadside prohibitions um, that uh, you could be on there reading them for forever because they're reported. They're not reported in BC, but they are reported in Alberta. That was one of the threat factors of them, and apparently the threat is not discouraging people from fighting them. You know, it's, But it's, they are reported. And you know, if you were a young law student, if you're in your first or second year, and you were to start reading these things and just reading them all and doing case summaries of them... I'll tell you, you'd be able to publish a sweet little book of case summaries on these You'd things. be
0: able to co author a chapter in my next book.
1: Well, sure. But uh, you'd also get a job in our office because, uh, yeah. you know, we'd love to take it on, but we just don't have the, we don't have the human resources to do it.
0: We'd need somebody called to the bar in Alberta.
1: Yeah. We'd, that would be easy enough for you. You could do that. But the point is that we don't have enough, we don't have the, um, we don't have the resources in the office to deal with it all.
0: No, we do not.
1: We need to open an Alberta office, which we considered like 10 years ago and then realized that it was becoming impossible to manage.
0: All right. Well, dark so, days ahead. But for any aspiring law students listening to this podcast who want to basically guarantee themselves a job at the end of law school, being provided you're competent, email us. Yeah. You can get started on the research projects now.
1: Yeah, I know. I I wish, you know, there's things that I could have done when I was in university, when I was a history student. Why didn't I do the history of breathalyzers instead of the history, economic history of Germany in the post-war period? Um, You know, why didn't I, why didn't I do a study of of, uh, impaired driving legislation over the course of Canadian history and how it's been interpreted? You know, I could have done that as a history student. Can you imagine the advantage I would have had in law school? Um,
0: you would have been able to understand the legal history parts of uh, the Court of Appeals judgment today.
1: Well, I mean, the thing is, it would have been, I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't be so disappointed about my failures as a, as a lawyer to uh, where I've allowed the law to be degraded in such a way over the course of my career.
0: Well, I mean, you but didn't he, allow a totalitarian government. So you aren't America.
1: That's true. Somehow, or they, Russia, somehow they had that for four or years. Germany. They got rid of it. It'll come back.
0: Or North Korea.
1: yeah uh, it's just a matter of time here. Brazil. Yeah. I could
0: keep going. Or keep the going. Philippines. You could <laughs> keep
1: going. <laughs> Argentina.
0: Yeah. Oh, don't cry for me. Um. Okay.
1: So let's uh, talk. And on about, a letter note, uh, let's talk about something funny.
0: Yes. <laughs> the ridiculous driver of the week. <laughs> <laughs> The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. And this guy got me laughing. Yeah. So this is a Texas, Travis County, Texas, which is Austin. Yep. Plug for the DUI DLA seminar in Austin, September, first week of September, 2022. Um, and he is a DWI court judge. So he oversees impaired driving cases, but...
1: There's nothing like hypocrisy.
0: There is. <laughs>
1: yes. People love hypocrisy.
0: Yes. I hate, I hate
1: hypocrisy even when it's me.
0: He tried to reverse his car into a parking spot that was already taken.
1: Car in there. And uh, then uh, I assume he was investigated. I did read yes. it earlier. Yeah,
0: he had like slurred speech, slow responses. He was disoriented.
1: He admitted to drinking earlier.
0: There was a witness that he was like fighting with. Not fighting, but like arguing. And uh, yeah, he he ended up arrested and spent the night in jail.
1: Well, he's probably an elected judge. Um, Mm -hmm. by the sounds of it, and uh, that may hurt his chances for uh, re-election. That's a a problem, the appointment of judges, as we've seen uh, with the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, Then they have election of judges, and they have a problem with that as well, because uh, judges are elected generally if they sound like they're going to be really harsh on crime. uh, And the lawyers are out there lobbying for somebody who's hopefully going to be Good on justice, uh, but uh, harsh on crime usually wins. Um, and in Canada, you know, we have this obscure system where nobody really knows how you get to a superior court except usually you're connected to a political party at the time uh, and you're connected to a bunch of other people. Uh, and in the provincial court, um, you know, they get a resume and they look at it and make some phone calls. Um, so you really wonder. You just, like, we have this this hope and Hope that the lawyers who become judges are going to be uh, going to be doing exactly what we imagine they do. And then we see in the U.S. Supreme Court um, that um, some of them lied to get there.
0: Which brings me back to my theory that's like apparently a real theory that some like social sciences people actually write a lot of shit about. But I, I have a theory that other people have also had which is that the further that you get from real people, the farther removed you are from that by your economic status, by your varying degrees of privilege, by how sheltered you are by necessity, being a judge, the further you are from where the normal people are, the less likely you are to rule in a way that recognizes the realities that those people have to live.
1: Absolutely. And every judge will
0: I, categorically deny that. I,
1: every one of them will say no. Just like that Alberta judge a few years back who said, you know, I go into a room with, with brown people and I get scared or whatever she said. Yeah. Uh, you know, she the, the truth came out there and she had, wasn't even drinking. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And, but, you know, I'd even myself, right? Like, I've been a lawyer now for 10 years. I have all sorts of privilege as a result of that. Knowing the law, knowing my rights. I know more police officers than most people do.
1: You're financially I'm... stable.
0: Well, mm. <laughs>
1: you can, you I can, can You can I can keep your bills paid. Yeah,
0: I keep my bills. <laughs> I forget to pay them a lot, but that's a different problem. Um, the, uh, you know, yeah, I've got all of that privilege. I don't worry about my interactions with police because... Many police officers are friends or people I know. Um, that makes it more difficult for me, and I constantly have to check myself when I'm listening to people talk about their stories or their experiences or their, their difficulties because it's harder and harder as years go by for me to remember being the you know person with $32 in her bank account
1: well, there's lots of jobs I do in the office, um, and I do the jobs that generally I like to do at this point in my career. But one of the things that I like to do, as you know, is the consults with clients at the beginning, mm-hmm. because I, I think I maintain a fairly good grounding because I usually talk to the people, and I often, as you know, you complain I talk to them too much. Um, I usually talk to them, and uh, I, I, you know, you deal with some people who are unstable, and they've got their own, you know, rationale. Um, and then there's some people who are just fucking plain nuts and they're out there in our community too. And they're entitled to be out there in our community so long as they're not harming others. And even if they are harming others, if they're not harming them all the time. And you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that if you're sitting in a, uh, you know, if you're having lunch with other, uh, superior court judges and going to the club and playing tennis with other superior, court, those are the people you're comfortable around.
0: You're making $300,000 $300, a year.
1: A year. Um, Maybe you can't buy a house in with.
0: Vancouver, yeah. but yeah,
1: you're you're comfortable around the high end high uh, litigators who do uh, commercial litigation, but not uh, around the ICBC lawyers who are trying to get seventy five thousand dollars for their badly injured client.
0: You're not struggling um, to pay for your bag fee on Flair Airlines because you're flying business class every time you fly.
1: Yes. So there's no doubt. There's no doubt that uh, people get. Um, separated from it. And you know what, it, it drives home for me a couple of things. Um, you know, they're talking about term limits for judges in um, the U.S. Supreme Court. I think it makes sense. Uh, you know, I think we there's, have
0: mandatory retirement, at 75,
1: 75 is pretty old. I think, uh, you know, there, there's some judges who, who retired and went back to being lawyers. Um, and um, I admire them for that because they may have done it because they were concerned about that happening to them. Uh, one judge is superior a superior court judge went to the court of appeal and then went back into private practice. You know, there's a few of them out there.
0: Yep. Anyway, that's our podcast. Sorry for the beeping in the background. Can't turn that off. Uh, <laughs> if anyone can correctly guess what the beeping in the background is from,
1: we'll send you a t-shirt.
0: We will send you a t-shirt.
1: Lawyer told me not to talk to you. T-shirt.
0: Yes. Um, and if you need to reach us for any driving law related issues, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.